0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines. With the annual American Society for Virology meeting coming up in two weeks, we are talking with graduate students and postdoctoral researchers who will be attending the meeting. Thanks very much for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, so hello, everyone. My name is Amit Koikra Aji. I'm currently a PhD student in the group of Salvatore Chiantia. Uh, And I work with hantaviruses, so in our group we deal with a lot of quantitative fluorescence techniques, uh, particularly uh, this this group is called fluorescence fluctuation spectroscopy, Uh, so you basically analyze uh, intensity fluctuations from your fluorescence experiments, and then you try to like quantitatively derive uh, biophysically relevant parameters, for instance, uh, you have dissociation constant, diffusion coefficient, and so on, which then you can then use to address, uh, you know, a plethora of how biological mechanisms work. Uh, I originally come from India, uh, where I also did my undergraduation, but I did my master's at the Technical University in Delft in the Netherlands, and then I moved to Germany for my uh, Ph.D., uh, which I'm currently pursuing. So I think that's pretty much of myself in a nutshell.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how did you first sort of way back when? How did you first become interested in science and then sort of virology?
1: Uh, yeah. So. In my family, uh, let's say it's uh, both my parents were working professionals. So my dad is an engineer, my mom's a doctor, which is very stereotypically Indian because uh, that's one of the two, two of the main professions a lot of us end up following. Uh, and so that really helped uh, in the beginning itself to get used with sciences, uh, particularly with respect to biological sciences, because my mom is a radiologist. So. Uh, it's not that she would discuss about case histories and all of that, but you would see her, you know, working with X-rays and things like that, and you're always a bit intrigued, you know, how things work and what do you mean by a clinical diagnosis and all of that. So I would say that's the first thing that really initiated the interest, and I think you know the environment at home as well, when you know where you have both professionals working with some sort of sciences, that definitely helped uh, along the line. Uh, for me. Uh, So that's pretty much with sciences. I'd say virology was much later on, because my uh, undergrad is in chemical engineering and not in a biological sciences. So uh, back in the day, I would have studied more about petroleum refining or designing reactors for probably like ammonia production, which is not even remotely close to virology, (laughs) (laughs) to be fair. Uh, but it was during my time uh, in Delft where I worked uh, in my master thesis in the group of uh, Professor Sasha Canaris, I worked on carotid artery arteriosclerosis. So it's the artery that goes through your neck and arteriosclerosis is basically constriction uh, that results in, uh, so when it comes to carotid artery, it results in stroke. So we worked on biomechanics aspects of it. So that's what really gave me the, the inspiration you know, that you could really work on a biological problem with my sort of a background. Um, and then I did the spring school in Eulich, which is uh, in the Southwest of Germany, where you basically had people from biology, mathematics, physics, uh, and chemistry all working on the same problem. So it was just nice to see you know, those different perspectives uh, their ultimate aim is to find the truth, but how do they approach the truth? So uh, that's where, let's say, the interest into more of biological sciences started to develop. And uh, the person that really helped me to you know, to make a base, a foundation uh, with respect to uh, biological research was during my internship here in Berlin uh, in the group of Dr. Oren Moskowitz at the MPI for Colloids and Interfaces. Uh, he's the one who really, really trained me in, you know, all the wet lab experiments, because I was a guy who came from a theoretical background. And uh, I remember back in the day, I would be the guy who'd ask, you know, should I hold the pipette at this inclination or <laughs> should I be holding it at that inclination? Are you sure that the pressure is all right? Or should I be pressing the thumb a little bit more? <laughs> uh all these sort of questions because you understand the physics of it but it's a different ball game when you have to actually practice it uh in place so he was he and every member in his group was like literally very patient it was like having a new kid trying to understand every single <laughs> every single thing in the lab um, and that really cemented me to do my current research in the group of uh, professor kiantia Uh, Where I've been working since 2019 as well, and then here again, like I've not had like prior experience, too much experience with fluorescence microscopy again. So there was a lot of learning along the line. So and that's like from my end, that's always one message I'd like to give to all the listeners as well. Uh, You might probably hear a lot of virologists having, you know, like a traditional biological training background but you can always start up with something entirely different and still end up doing uh, biological research. It is possible.
0: Right, right. Um, And can you tell us a little bit about, so how did you actually find the labs that you ended up in?
1: Yes, so as I said, since my background isn't proper biological, uh, meaning biological training thing, it's always a bit harder uh, for people like me, because again, you have to be like really patient with the guy. Like you need to really train him from ground zero. And also, it also depends at which phase of the project you are in. If it's at an earlier stage, probably it's a little more accommodative because you can also learn along the line. So it's sometimes all these factors have to come into play. It's not that, you know, the PI is being... Uh, too obnoxious and not listening to your application, you know, you have to also be considerate about which phase of the project it is. So for me, that was often uh, the hard thing to, you know, to navigate and go through. Uh, And like in both the cases, whether it was at in the group of Dr. Oren Moskowitz or over here, it was at a phase where they could be accommodative in having a person, you know, who had limited biological training and could give, you know, training expertise. And sometimes like as an advice, what I would suggest is it's always good to sometimes go to a group which has uh, uh, experience in a certain technique because then already they know, you know, if you have to train somebody from scratch as well, it's easier to train uh, along the line. So that's sometimes helpful, uh, particularly when you want to search for an opportunity.
0: Okay, great. And can you tell us a little bit then more about your research?
1: I currently work with hantaviruses. So they are a group of zoonotic viruses that are transmitted from rodents to human beings. And that's primarily done via aerosol transmission. I think these are now the words we are, a lot of us are common because of SARS-CoV-2. And so these hantaviruses, they're classified as old world and new world hantaviruses. The old world uh, hantaviruses, they create a renal syndrome and they are primarily found in Asia and in Europe. Whereas the new world one, new world strains are found in Americas and they affect the cardiopulmonary uh, system. So in my work, I've been working with strains, both from the old world as well as the new world hantaviruses. Uh, um, and what we are really interested in is in, so we initially started off with glycoprotein interactions, like how, so like with uh, any virus glycoprotein, you have an overall assembly that take place. And there are some of these interactions between those glycoproteins that dictate the final assembly. So the first part of my research was understanding which of these, meaning there are just two glycoproteins involved, which makes life slightly more simpler, at least with respect to hantaviruses. Like I know people who work with influenza uh, have a much harder job to deal with it. Uh, but here you have two ones, but again, it's it was initially to understand uh, what interactions are critical, and again, we use fluorescence microscopy to give light to the structural aspect as well. So that's where I started. Uh, I then moved to uh, understanding about this plasma membrane localization, which is what I'd be talking further in my ASP talk uh, this year. Uh, so there's been this there's been this previous consensus that you know this plasma membrane localization only happens with respect to the new world strain. And they've had studies which were not like extremely uh, concrete. You've had some anecdotal observations overall here and there, but nothing concrete to say that, you know, this is why the new world one takes place. So uh, the work that I'll be presenting at ASP, what we try to do is try to compare things between the old world and new world strains, because for the old world one, the assembly takes place within the cell in a compartment called Golgi, um whereas for the old, new world it was speculated that it always happens at the plasma membrane so we tried to do a uh, lot of structural analysis using our fluorescence techniques to see you know how these assemblies take place which of these glycoproteins could be responsible meaning sometimes you'll have the presence of one glycoprotein leading the other one to you know to a particular cellular comp- compartment so all of that and then we also use some cool biophysical uh, techniques like cellular blebbing which is like creating these vesicular protrusions at the membrane so it's not like bursting the cell but uh, just enough uh, configuration so that you can analyze glycoprotein interactions Uh, so that's what uh, i'd be presenting but then we've also now moved a little bit more into understanding about interactions between the nuclear capsid and glycoprotein as well We also would like to go a little bit also on the entry factors, like, for instance, with SARS, as SARS-CoV-2 as well, because we had the previous understanding of ACE2, it helped us to accelerate a lot of things. But with respect to HANTA viruses, a lot of things are not very clear. We have some initial candidates for that, but uh, that's also something that we are trying to work uh, as well for the moment.
0: Can you talk a little bit about sort of... um you know, how common hentavirus infections are?
1: So in Germany, they happen almost every year. So here you have the, the Broa strain which uh, and the Pumala strain, which pretty much, I think, for the past five, six years, every year uh, around like January or sometimes during summer, you always have um, an outbreak. When it comes to America, you have uh, this strain called Sin Nombre. And if I'm not wrong, this took place at the Yellowstone National Park. In '93, where you had 12 people infected, uh, so that was, let's say, the first big press out uh, that uh, that happened there. And recently, uh, like two years back, in uh, in Argentina and Chile, we had an outbreak of the Andes strain. So Andes is the only strain which is responsible amongst hantaviruses for human to human transmission. The rest of the ones do not have human to human. Uh, so the Andes one was also quite an outbreak because you had like 34 people infected and 12 out of them passed away, unfortunately. So those are the ones. But prior in history, there have also been these speculations. So back in the day in England, there was this sweating sickness, which uh, people who watch uh, like the, the King Henry series and all would be familiar with. So there are speculations that that is also very similar to Hanta. It could have been caused by rodents and particularly with the Andes strain showing human to human transmission, there has been the speculation uh, as well. But Hanta as a name as such actually comes from the Hantan Peninsula in Korea where during the Korean War, a lot of American soldiers got infected with this strain. So that's where the initial prominence came. But for some reason, historically, also you have... uh, with respect to like the sweating sickness as well you know a connotation with hunter
0: okay great um and so what's next
1: so i am in my third year of my phd uh, so i probably have another one and a half years more hopefully by which i would be able to complete things and unless there is not like major bottlenecks that's all fingers crossed you know with research it's a bit hard to say but yeah uh another one and a half years uh, my ideal thing would, I like to stick in academia uh, and I would like to do a postdoctoral fellowship. Probably I'm looking for a continent change because I've been in Europe for five years. And I think when you work in academia, it's always important to work in a diverse environments as much as possible because you need to, you know, develop that culture, you know, of having the diversity, you know. So if you haven't worked in one, it's very hard to, you know, general, to, to to know and to practice it. Uh, so that's something that I would like to do. Uh, and again, bec- and, like if it comes to topics, obviously, I like to work a little bit more on structural aspects as well, probably a little bit more on like X-ray crystallography and cryo-EM uh, as well. But I'm also interested in immunology uh, too, because when you look at like entry factors and the immunological aspects play a very critical role. So at the moment, these are the two ones. but you never know, hopefully, as time goes by, you might diversify as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, and then, can you tell us a little bit about what this past year, year and a half has been like for you in the pandemic, as a, so as a person and then also someone who's studying viruses?
1: Yeah, meaning as a person to study viruses, obviously, meaning pandemic is like the ultimate goalpost thing, but you really don't want it to happen. It just, there's that very weird sense of feeling, you know, you took up virology right in the middle of, pan, of a pandemic. Um, meaning, yes, all of us have been standard at home. Uh, things have been different. Fortunately, uh, meaning at my lab, we didn't have to have like a major big closure uh, as such. Hope meaning thanks to the fact that in my area the case incidence rates were, didn't like explode over the roof, so that really helped. Um, but yeah, the main toll has been on on the personal life because let's be honest, like right now my home is literally my holiday destination, my entertainment hub, and I don't like that at all. It's it's it it took it took quite a while to get used with that and also the fact that you have like limited social interaction that also kind of impacts the way you know like now when you find a person you're not like really sure should i go should i stand aside should i be i i I don't know. like i don't know what normal interaction felt like before 2090 that i think is a mystery in itself uh yeah so it's a lot more to do with uh on the personal front and again like my family my parents are residing in Qatar they've been they're working there I haven't seen them now for the past two years so that also feels weird like for them I'm the only child at home so say for them it's been a much harder toll as well so not meeting them not seeing anybody else being confined in a certain shell meaning as a person who's studying it you know the relevance about it but it's just that the mind is not accustomed with it. And I really hope we don't have to live through this again. Like, uh, with better planning, we don't have to do this again. Yeah. Right.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate yeah. talking with you. Uh,
1: same here, Larissa.
0: This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Backright. And thanks for listening.